Welcome to Maximum Octane and your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution in the automotive industry. I'm your host, Kim Hickey, former shop owner turned industry educator, speaker, and entrepreneurial motivator. Each week during our ride together, you will hear unfiltered stories of inspiration and transformation shared by successful business owners and CEOs. Their experiences will motivate you to do things you never thought possible, encourage you to reach your full potential, and help you to exchange unproductive habits for productive ones. While many of my guests will be related to the automotive industry, it's crucial in the world of tomorrow that we stop being silos and we open our minds to ideas and inspiration from other industries as well. We also know that to be truly successful in business, you must have a healthy work and home life balance. All of my guests are handpicked with these crucial elements in mind. Our industry is evolving by the second, and we need to as well. Buckle up, because here we go. Welcome back, Maximum Octane. This is your host, Kim Hickey. Super excited for my guest today. I love, I love, I love, and I can't say love enough to talk to people that not only inspire me, but that are actually doing the things they talk about and have have progressed in in their careers through growth and the real the want tos. We seem to be missing that a lot these days and there's a lot of complaints about people and, and and internal customers and whatever and that people don't care about their jobs anymore. They don't have the want tos, they don't have whatever. So uh, joining me today is Mr. Roy Nimi who definitely has the want tos much more than a lot of people that I meet. So, hi, Roy. How are you? I am well, Kim. Good morning. No, you would definitely what you said there was super, super um, accurate. Uh, I definitely have a passion to succeed and a motivation. So, I look forward to to the session. Awesome, awesome. And Roy is the COO of A and D Repair somewhere in Michigan. So, you want to explain where because it seems like maybe people won't know the the one place, but a neighboring place they'd be familiar with? Yeah, so we're in a little town called Hazlitt, Michigan, but uh, we're attached to East Lansing, Michigan, home of the MSU Spartans. So uh, we literally share a border with uh, East Lansing. So people would recommend, recognize that a little bit more. So dead center of the state, pretty much. Very exciting. How long have you been in this industry, Roy? Uh, so I started in this industry, automotive industry as a whole, uh, 21 years ago. I was in sales and finance for the first 14 years of my career. So I have a heavy, heavy sales background. So I was a finance director for 13 dealerships for 14 years. And then I got into the this end of it, just on happenstance. It's a long story. I broke my back and I was paralyzed. So I had to really think about my life and the direction that I wanted my life to go. And it wasn't working 100 hours a week and chasing a dollar. I wanted some of my time back. So I ended up finding a, a small independent repair facility at the time. We were very small and uh, it was something that I had passion I wanted to do. So it's been eight years now, crazy enough. And um, I don't think we're so small anymore, but, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about some of my philosophies and wanting to kind of keep that small shop mentality and, and so on and so forth. But that's my career path and look forward to many, many more. I'm probably going to die here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> By choice, right? That's always that's always a good thing when you found that place that you literally want to spend the rest of your life at. I, I think that's always amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's chat about what you just mentioned for a moment because a lot of people would look at 
gosh, why would he take a step backwards or that that was a downgrade, right? When you just look on paper or hear that, you're running finance and 13 dealerships and now you go to a quote mom and pop shop and how was that transition? It was very different for me. Um, You know, my first, my 13 years at the dealership was I mean, I was young. I was 21 years old when I started and, and I emphasized making money. Money was my drive, my everything, you know, buying cars and houses and things. And, you know, I thought that I needed that to be happy. I thought that I, that was what was going to make me happy and uh, and take care of me and my family. So I worked 80, 90 hours a week. I, you know, uh, I was a grind. And yeah, I had those things. And um Ultimately, I led to a motorcycle accident that I broke my back and I had to reevaluate my life. You know, what was important, you know, because being paralyzed and not having the ability to for, you know, bathe yourself and feed yourself and and do all these things that we take so much for granted and somebody has to do those for you. It gave me a new outlook on what was important, you know, my wife and my daughter and you know, my family. And, and I said, well, I want more of that time back. I'm willing to sacrifice money. I'm willing to give up money and monetary things and physical things for time. And that's when I, I said, well, I'm going to look for something different that could pay the bills. I wasn't trying to set the world on fire, but pay the bills and take care of me. My wife, I'm very, very blessed and very, very fortunate. My wife has a very, very good job. So I know everybody can't do that. I know everybody can't just say, hey, I can take less money because I've got a family to feed and so on and so forth. My wife has always had a very good job. She's always been a very hard worker and a big supporter. So I was able to go look for something that I could work Monday through Friday and be appreciated and be valued and be a part of a team rather than what I was for the previous 13 years of my experience. At, at the dealership level, I, I had to fight and, and scrape and claw and prove myself each and every single month. Because if I didn't, I would just be replaced. They would find another guy to fill my chair, the proverbial another butt for the seat, you know, and I felt valued. And, I, and like I said, I, it was something that I thought that would go a long ways. Never had any plans on it becoming what it's become. Never had any plans on that. But um very, very excited and very, very fun. And I, I love what I do. I have a ton of passion for what I do. And uh, the other good thing about it is that I can see a direct result of everything I do, good or bad. Um, whereas in a dealership, I've got hundreds of other people that potentially rely on me to do my job. And I don't really get to see the results of mine. Yeah, I get a paycheck and yeah, I get so on and so forth, but I don't really build anything. I don't really do anything. I just you know, if I don't meet my quota or my expectation, um, you know, I get reprimanded. And if I do meet my quota or expectation, I just get a paycheck and then and here you go. Have a great day. So you came from an environment where really you were only as good as your last sale, right? Your last number. and Absolutely. The first of every month, you're a zero. I mean, that's just how that, that that's how that life is. The first of the month, you're a zero, you know, there's, and it sucked, you know, it, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot. I can't say I was at a bad a bad dealership or a bad dealer group ultimately ended, I ended up at a really, really, really good dealership that really valued relationships and valued people and valued community. And they went through like a, um, 
like a rebranding or a remodeling, like a transition within the company when the sons took over from the dad, they said they were going to do something different. They were going to put people first. And when they did that, there was a transition. There was a grind. There was a couple of years that were really, really tough. But once it caught up to them and once the good name and the word of mouth and the, the, the how much they valued their people and their, and their, their community, the business blossomed and they've grown. And now they're one of the largest four dealerships in the state of Michigan. And they, they've started off as a small little mom and pop store store. So that's amazing. I know people first is a, an important slogan for you and, and sort of a mantra that I definitely want to get to. And on the last piece of with you being home, one of the things when we talk to, whether they're the COO, the CEO, a service manager, but as people get halfway, I would say the halfway point through their career, they start looking and second guessing and saying, you know, boy, were those missed soccer games worth it? Was the this worth it? And yeah, I had great cars or I had a big house or I had whatever, but it didn't, it didn't fulfill me. And you see a lot of people now, even with a tiny house nation and the minimalism and things that people are really starting to, I think as a whole, look at the quality of life and, and what is truly important and making decisions to say, yes, you know, we're perfectly willing to live in a smaller home or eat out less or do whatever so that we can spend more quality time with what's important to us. And so I, I just love that you really looked at all of those things because there isn't anybody, what do they say? When, when you come to the end of your time, no one ever looks back and says, gee, I wish I would have spent less time with my loved ones. I wish I would have, you know, had less life experiences or it's always, I wish I didn't work so much. I wish I didn't miss so much. And so I really invite everybody to listen to Roy's words from the beginning of this and throughout it and think about, and, and even if your significant other or whoever doesn't have a great job, there's still, there's so many things we can cut out of our expenses and things. If, there's a trade-off, right? And so, so what is it? It's, it's almost like when we talk to business owners about paying a higher manager salary or any of that, it's the freedom tax. You know, it's like, what are you, what are you willing to trade and what are you willing to do? And the more people in, in, in the, these generations and, and coming up, the time is so much more important to them than the actual paycheck. And we have to revamp our thinking a little bit. A lot of business owners are still in the money, money, money thing. And, and that doesn't translate to a lot of people we hired today. So that's just, I, I just, I love your story and I love your passion and would have been really easy to be like, Oh, poor me, look at whatever. And you made some wonderful choices that have been able now to impact a lot of other people. Cause you're doing amazing work here with, with what you're doing. So want want to talk about that a little bit. What are some of the things that you're doing there? Yeah, so long and short, it's been it's been like I said, it's been an eight year journey. I mean, I came aboard. You know, I think uh, we were doing a lot of things right. Let's just say that it's, we're doing a lot of things right. We had joined ATI. We had accepted a lot of the direction from our coaching. We had a manager in place that he was very good with customers, but bad at managing people. We we worked through that, and we had the opportunity, or I had the opportunity to step up because. Something happened within the shop. So I was able to lead a team and, and show a team respect and show a team value. 
And, you know, one of the things that you talked about earlier was talking about like people before profit. And as much as we want to make a dollar and as much as we want to meet our margins, we are human beings. We are human beings. We need to be treated with respect. We need to be appreciated. And we need to be, t- you know, taken care of and be told that not everybody needs to be told we're doing a good job. Some of us don't respond to that. Some of us respond to like paychecks and so on and so forth. But that was the biggest thing we were lacking. The biggest thing we were missing was that. So just made some changes in that regard. And, and one of the things I wanted to put on is work on building trust before building dollars. So I needed my team to, to trust me. I think we need shirts that say that. Build trust before you build dollars. I think we need a shirt or at least a trucker hat. Just, Which sparkles for me, of course. <laughs> Where it's the hat contest. No. And that was like one of the things we needed to work on. You know what I mean? The emphasis on like do more, do more, do more, do more. Yeah, we can do that all the time. But if that person that I'm leading or the team that we're leading doesn't trust me or doesn't trust that I have their back or their best intentions or I'm here for them, that I'm, you know, not threatening them. If you don't do it, I'll find somebody else who will, you know, because that that those things are said. That does happen in the shop. We wouldn't we think we'd like to think it doesn't happen, but it does. It happens. Once we started working on that, we were able to really see what we were capable of and move forward. And the guys started producing 10, 20, 30 percent more and really starting to see dollars. You know, when the shop when I started, we were a seven hundred thousand dollar shop. And in, in the short time that we've been here, that I've been here, we'll do just under six million this year um, combined. So wow. it, it works. It works. And it's not just for employees. It's for your customers, too. It's for your customers, too. People over profits for sure. You know, we build trust before we build dollars. The money will follow. I promise you the money will follow. And if you can be super transparent and clear and emphasize that you care and have passion and you, you're there for them, people, people will open their hearts and their families to you and your business. I can't tell you what it's like to do business every day here because, I mean, I can explain to you that people come in and bring cookies and bring their grandkids and stop in to say hi. And there's so much that happens that's so incredible that I, you know, never thought I'd have the ability to cultivate or to build within a business because of my past. Um, but being able to do that here and it's been very, very successful and we're going to continue to do it. And we're going to continue to grow. That's fantastic. I just, you just light up when you're speaking about it. So with the changing culture and, and really living that and not just saying it, what has that done for your recruitment efforts when in attracting talents and also retaining the talent that you have? Have, have you seen a change in that over the years? Retention a ton. My guys are with me. They are my guys. When I say they're my guys, they're my people. They're my family. We spend more time with each other than we do our own wives and children, right? I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. Retention has been incredible. As far as getting people, that's a difficult one in our state. You know, I'm sure anybody that's in our like tri-state area, Michigan, well, Michigan specifically, it's very difficult to go and find that superstar or that what we call A-tech. So what we've resorted to is building our own ATEX. We started a we started an apprentice program five years ago, just building them ourselves, starting to getting them right out of trade schools, um, getting them out of the local colleges and stuff like that, 
tuition reimbursement programs, tool funds. I mean, there's a whole bunch of gamut. There's a whole gamut of stuff that you that you can do because um, that also that in turn buys some loyalty and and has a lot of value amongst the people that you're willing to invest in their career. You know, it's not just them having to do it. You're investing in their career monetarily, physically, mentally, spiritually, because we do our one-to-ones and things like that. I'll touch a little bit on that. The retention portion has been great. As far as building a pipeline of what we call ATEX, it's terribly difficult. And I can admit that. I mean, just recently, I had a, a gentleman that I met with, shop, you know, he was the, the, the lead tech at a shop of four, incredibly talented, incredibly gifted, went over with what was important and what, you know, what do you need and you and your life. And we were able to kind of meet and establish a, a, a common ground and, and something there. But ultimately, you know, leaving someplace that he's been 12 years was too much. It was too much. So we got to grow them ourselves. My team, the oldest member of my team is 35 years old. And so we're very, very, very young. That is because I think what is the average age now for technicians is early 50s, I believe, late 40s, early 50s. Yeah, it's like early 50s. Like I said, my oldest technician on the floors is 30 35 years old, ASE Master Tech L2. I got another another kid who's 27 years old, ASE Master Tech. I mean, we got some young, young guys, but are very, very qualified and very skilled. We got a bunch of young guys behind them that are growing with them. That makes it terribly difficult. But as far as culture here, it's hard to explain. It really is hard to explain. We we do a lot of things differently. My team, so I'll do the initial interview. Qualify, you know, go over qualifications and make sure the person has what it takes to fit in with our team. After that, I invite the individual back to our shop to meet with all the team members to have lunch. There's nothing more intimate than breaking bread and getting to talk to somebody and asking them who they are and what they're about and what their family is. And it takes me out of it. It takes me, you know, the boss out of it and allows them to open up and just talk openly and share things. And he can ask questions or she can ask questions that wouldn't necessarily be asked to me because they might not feel comfortable asking me these questions. Like, right. hey, what is, he, what is he like? What is it really like? What is it so on and so forth? So we're very transparent. We're very, it's, we're wide open. We're, you know, you can ask anything and we'll, we'll share. Do you feel like your culture plays a, a part though in being able to attract those people, even the younger ones to, to know that I can go there, I can trust that they're going to build me and give me the training and the development that I need. And is that part of your value proposition when you're interviewing and speaking to potential candidates? Oh, absolutely. I think that's, I think it's hugely, uh, you know, part of it. I think we've done a horrible job as an industry cultivating technicians. And I don't think it's necessarily the aftermarket shop so much. I wouldn't like to blame the aftermarket shops. I'd like to blame the dealerships. And then I'm sure there's some aftermarket shops that were in there. We get these young guys that have a ton of passion and want to work on cars and, you know, learn and grow and build a career. But yet we, we're so quick to tear them down. We're so quick to just beat them up and just chew them up and spit them out versus mentor and, and, and create a path. Because a lot of these guys don't, a lot of these kids don't have a path. They're just thrown to the wolves. They're thrown into the shop and they said, learn, sink or swim. And I, and I wanted to change that. And that's one of the biggest things we've really tried to change 
And there's no specific program. I can't give you a piece of paper with like an outline and says, this is the program, do it. And it works. What I can tell you is everybody's an individual and each person responds differently. And you need to learn how to, how to motivate that individual and work with that individual. I've got guys with learning disabilities that are dyslexic and everything else. that can't take a test to save their life, but yet are still state master certified technicians are still ASE master certified technicians because they take a different level of mentorship, a different level of, of relationship. I love that. That's a big piece. I think that's missing and you have to have an outline and your non-negotiables and certainly your KPIs, but we have to find different ways to deliver the information to different people because everybody receives it different. And it's, it's so funny to me sometimes how ironic that we spend so much time on sales training at the counter and teaching our service advisors to understand buying personalities and how to speak to the, the customers differently and in the language that they understand. And then we don't do the same thing a lot internally and look at our internal customers and say, what is their buying personality? What What is the language that I can best deliver this in to do it or the format? You know, is it more oral? Is Do they like more written information? Do they like videos? Do they respond to a lot more, you know, one-on-one time? And it's, it's, it's just so ironic to me that we get it. We get it so clearly for the external customer, but when it comes to the internal customer, it's like, we just throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> that thing. No, you're absolutely right. We just, I don't know. It's always a, it's a difficult task, you know, managing personalities, managing people, figuring out what their hot buttons are. It's a difficult task, but I think it's super, super important, especially if we want to continue to grow and have that next generation of technician to step in or next generation of service writer or sales manager, or, you know, we have a body shop. So, you know, Whatever that may be, that position is, I think it's on our responsibility now to start to really step up and, and put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, you know, and push them along and mentor them and guide them. And it gets expensive sometimes, but we got to we got to do it. It does, but it's a lot more expensive to not have those people. And that's a big disconnect that I see. I, I was speaking with someone I don't know, a few weeks ago, I was doing a presentation somewhere and the, somebody mentioned, we were talking about hiring and different benefits that you can offer and things to be a little different. And they had been without an ATEC for two years and they had one recently come by, but they wanted like $2 more an hour than they were willing to pay them. And they were like, just, nope, that's the top that we pay here. And, and I quickly ran the math and I said, do you really, so you're willing to give up, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in profit, right? For this time that this tech is not there to save, you know, a two bucks more an hour. If they worked 40 hours a week, what, you know, what's that five grand? They're not even 4,000. What is it? 2080. So $4,160 if you gave them $2 an hour. So it's like, I, I don't understand the, the, the logic here. scale there of, of, of that logic. And it's, uh, it does cost sometimes. And I mean, the good news is we can control what we're billing the customer and our labor rate, our door rate and all. And we don't on, at least on the mechanical side, have the same restrictions as in the collision world that has to stay within parameters. And so 
just give the person two bucks more an hour and, you know, increase your labor rate. Like just, <laughs> it's just, it's just so insane to me what, what we just draw that line in the sand and get so stuck in our ways. So speaking of stuck in our ways, always to get to, to the level where you're at today, right? We, everybody always has habits that maybe are not productive and we do a little soul searching. And as we mature and as we learn more about leadership and growth, we look at some of our habits and say, yeah, that one is maybe not serving me best. What's, what's an unproductive habit that you had or that you see people have that really needs to change? Procrastination is probably the biggest thing I see people doing. It's not procrastination what people would think it would be either. It's not procrastination in like getting something done in the shop or painting a wall. It's procrastination in addressing issues with your people. I think people let things go on too long within the business such as a, a, a bad apple in the bunch, somebody who has a bad attitude, somebody who doesn't show up on time, a, not a team player. I think we are so scared to lose people and lose production that we don't confront people on their issues, so to speak. It was a big issue that I had, right? I was always afraid I'm going to lose my guy. I'm going to lose this guy if I go up to him and say, hey, dude, why, why are you doing this? You know what I mean? And I, I would feel that the kickback would be, oh, he's always talking to me about it. You know, screw this. I can go someplace else that'll let me show up 10 minutes late. I can go someplace else and do this. So I put that off. But once I figured out that I would, you know, if I address it in the now, if I have an issue or concern with somebody and I address it in the now, and it doesn't always have to be a big, long, drawn out um, reprimand. It's like, look, hey, man, like, why, why, why is this happening? Is there something in your life that's going on that's leading you to do this all the time? Is there something that I can help you with? Those are the things that were really, really beneficial for for me in in the in the developing the growth of my people, for sure. Developing the growth of everybody that works here, addressing things in the now. You know, if I see somebody up front that's struggling, I don't know what's going on in his life. I don't know if his wife left him. I don't know if if he has to put his dog down because you know it's sick or whatever it may be, but I can ask a question. I can say, how are you doing? What's going on? Why is this happening? Is there something I can do to help? Is so on and so forth. That was the biggest benefit for me, I think, by far, um, is not being afraid of losing people and not procrastinating on addressing issues. That's just a wonderful thing. And so often we don't set the proper parameters. So I think the internal customers don't even know that they're not living up to whatever, not doing what they're supposed to do because many areas we fail on saying, here's the exact KPIs or parameters we need you to perform in, you know, and then we don't really do anything about a true performance improvement plan. And it's not punitive. It doesn't have to be punitive. It's if you really care about that internal customer and you want them to develop and learn and, and be with you for the long haul, you have to provide that training and that honest feedback and be transparent because many times you speak with people and they're like, yeah, I got let go. I have I no idea. No one's ever said anything to me all along. And then all of a sudden they were like, yeah, here's all the reasons we're letting you go. And they never had a chance to fix it or improve or make changes or get counseling and guidance. And so that's, I love it. 
One of the things that you've put together uh, or have implemented at the shop is the word of the year. If for those of you that are listening and not watching on YouTube, we'll, we'll get the links up there and you can hop on the YouTube channel for sure and uh, get, get, get a look at it. But you have a beautiful looking ceiling at your shop with a flag and a big giant sign that says families. So what we've done, you know, obviously we've been with ATI for 15 years, 14, going on 15 years, I believe somewhere in that time frame. When I first started here, the things that we did were like, we called them one-to-ones and I'll be the first to admit we had no part of it. We just didn't have time, right? We were too busy and no part of it. So we didn't do it. We didn't do it for quite some time. Wait, wait, let me just ask. Did you say, I talk to the people every day. I don't need to have a one-on-one. Yeah. So that was, that was one of the things that we, you know, we said that we said, oh, we meet in the mornings. We go over things at the end of the day. We talk to them all day long, but we didn't do the one, we, the one-to-ones, we called it eating the elephants and how to eat it one at a time. And then I think we've now renamed them uh, accountability, accountability sessions. And we can have a million, million names for it. But one of the things that I, you know, especially for last year and this year was a non-negotiable for me. It really resonated huge, huge within our, with this year, especially in our, in our 20 group meeting was naming non-negotiables. And mine this year was a one-to-ones. And I wanted something that was a little different than a quick sit down, things you do well, things you don't do well, things to improve, goals, blah, 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 blah. I wanted something that was more personal, more interactive, that I got to learn a little bit more about them and what made them tick. So I found this really cool pamphlet that we'll, we can put up a link to it that talked about word of the year. And through that word of the year, it's got goal settings and it's got other things that help you track it. It's got a weekly journal and so on and so forth. But what I asked the group to do is everybody in my group, we've got 28 employees now, everybody in the group, you know, what, what, what pick a word for you to live by this year that means something to you. Everybody's different. Everybody's hot button is different. So they chose this word and that's what we meet on. That's what we meet on every week is what that word is, so to speak. But then we made it a little bit bigger. You know, we talked as a group saying, you know, what what word kind of sums up everything that everybody is saying? Because most of it related back to, you know, family and children and time and passion and things like that. And we came up with a, a, a group word collectively that was family. And so when so I you had everybody had their own individual word of the year that meant something to them personally or yep. professionally, whatever reason they did it. And then you picked the collective one for all of you as a team, as a team. So the way we looked at it was when you're deciding to not do your job so well, when you're deciding to not show up, when you're deciding to do these things, are you living up to your word? You chose this word. This was the word that meant something to you, that you were passionate about, that has lights a fire inside of you. It's what you know makes you tick every single day. You chose that word. Are you living up to that word? Are you exceeding the, the, what that, or the expectations that you've set for yourself for that word? And what we ultimately did is said, okay, if we're going to have an individual word that we'll meet on, 
we're going to have a, a, a group, a team word. And we chose the word family. And the word family uh, just resonated with everybody. And so we had these really, you know, four by eight banners printed, double-sided, that we hang in the shop that the guys can see every single day right next to the American flag. And it says, our link to the past, our bridge to the future, our refuge from the storm. That's what family should be. So when everything is, when, when the proverbial crap is hitting the fan, we need to come together collectively, not point fingers, not say so-and-so is doing X, Y, Z or whatever it may be, come together collectively to solve a problem. And it also, I would like to think that family should hold you more accountable than anybody else should, period. So when something, when a guy in the shop is not doing something correct, things aren't going, the guy's not doing it right, or he's taking shortcuts, the guy next to him can say, hey, look, man, that's not benefiting everybody. That's not benefiting you. That's not, you're not living up to your word. So we, we, we talk every week. Um, the service manager meets with the, 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 uh, the technicians and the body manager meets with the body technicians and the service writers meet with me and so on and so forth. But that's what we talk about every week. Are you living up to your expectations, your word? Have you done everything you can? Have you worked towards your goals that are measurable and attainable? You know, what have you done to reach those goals and stuff like that? So we tie it back in, but I wanted a little more passion in it. I wanted a little more attachment to it. And that's, I think that's helped us tremendously this year. Love it. Love it. Love it. I, I cannot even believe that our time is up already. So I definitely want to have you come back and speak more about this and all of the wonderful things that you're doing in your philosophies and I just, you're just an inspiration to us all and everybody, everybody should have a Roy at their organization. I, I think that we just got to figure out how to clone you and bottle you and we can just, you know, package you out there for stuff. So I, I thank you so much for sharing your story today and uh, I'll make sure we get the links up so you can see the picture. You have a link to the journal and I just, I, I thank you for being here and everybody stay safe, make good choices and stay inspired. And we'll be back next week. And thank you so much, Roy. Hey, thank you guys. Kick butt today, everybody. And talk to you soon, Kim. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Optane, your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas, or you just want to be a guest on my show, I want to hear from you. You can reach me directly at mlpodcast at autotraining.net. Thanks for listening and keep seeking information everywhere that you can.